Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back to another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, Matthew and I are joined by our dear friend, Ali Flores. Ali is an actor. He is an improviser. He is a stand-up comic. And he doesn't just perform stand-up comedy. He also teaches it. So we thought, who better to join us on this week's episode because it deals with the art form of stand-up comedy. Before we start, a couple of little things. Uh, we have a bit of a disaster on our hands, people. As of September 1st, the Roku channel, who is notorious for rotating the seasons in and out of the Facts of Life, uh, they're all gone now. There are no Facts of Life episodes available at all right now on the Roku channel. Thankfully, we do have the ability to watch them on Pluto TV at the moment. It is only seasons seven and eight. Uh, they are labeled wrong. They're in production order, not in broadcast order. So do not go by the numbers. Go by the titles if you do watch them on Pluto TV. So let's, uh, let's put aside our annoyance with the Roku channel and continue to focus on the positive, count our blessings that at least we have daily motion and for the moment, Pluto TV. And both of those are free. Now let's get on to this week's show. Ali joined me and Matthew to watch Season 7, Episode 16, called The Agent. And the original air date was January 18th of 1986. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Ali Flores. Ali Flores, welcome back. Yay! It's been so long. It's It has been. I actually did dig back and look to see when it was. It's been a year and a half since last we discussed this show on this podcast. Holy cow, it's pre-COVID. It was February of 2020, and I was going to say to you, so, anything interesting happened since then? <laughs> no. Nah. no. I, I just got some, uh, some uh, FDA-approved ivermectin, so I'm really excited to see how that goes. Rock and roll, dude. Yeah. I wish you luck. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> part, of this, part of the process, guys. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I was reminded when we got onto the Zoom call, I was like, Matthew, uh, Ali, do you know each other? Of course, we were all part of the amazing entertainment team at the American Idol Experience. I was one of the field producers. Matthew was on the audition team. And Ali, you were the warm-up host. Yes, I was the warm-up, the pre-show host. Go out, get the video clips, and then, you know, come up and do the teach people how to vote. Mm -hmm. And then uh, go backstage. Teach and tourists how to push a button that is underneath their hand already. Yep. Right there. It's like, okay, one, two, and three. There you go. You're going <laughs> to. But what if I like the second singer? Which button do I press? Well, second would have a two in it. Just <laughs> I'm like, all right. The fact that you did that job actually segues perfectly into uh, I'm thrilled that you're back here because. You are a stand-up comic, as we discussed last time. That really was what made you so great as a warm-up host for the show. And so, Ali Flores, our stand-up friend, we're like, we have to have a professional's input on this Facts of Life episode. Because my professional stand-up input is not enough, <laughs> Ali. It's important for you to know that. I mean, my performances at the Orlando Improv, the Fort Lauderdale Improv, um, all over the country, that's not quite enough for, for David. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you. I was going to say, in addition to Matthew, whose alter ego, Carol Lee, has also been featured many times on the stand-up stage. <laughs> What a wonderful 
two-sided, two-handed, <laughs> double-ended dildo of comic stand-up yeah. professionalism I have at my disposal for this episode. Thank you you're for about, being here, gentlemen. You're about to get spit-roasted by stand-up comedians, David. <laughs> oh, my God. By the way, that's our comedy tour is double-ended dildo. That's yeah. uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm going to join you. We're going to do it, the three of us, because clearly you can walk into a Spencer's Gifts, make a couple of funny quips, and you are goddamn tonight show level material. According to the high school girl that works there. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So with the two of you so experienced, I'm sure I will be able to walk and step right into that arena and no one will be able to tell the difference. They'll be like, wow, look at those three equally seasoned professional stand-up comics. Wow. Mm -hmm. But, but, but we get ahead of ourselves. Let me do some nuts and bolts here. We're talking about Facts of Life, season seven, episode 16 called The Agent which had an original air date of January 18th of 1986. It was written by Jack Ellenson. Uh, Jack Ellenson has been a writer in the past for the show. I, I feel like I didn't actually research him. His credits go all the way back to shows with the name like the All-Star Review and the infamous Colgate Comedy Hour. Wow. In 1952, he is a like dawn of television veteran here. Uh, He worked on the Andy Griffith show. He wrote for Gomer Pyle, Good Times, One Day at a Time. He would go on to develop 227. So this is the third of three Facts of Life episodes that he actually wrote. So this is the last one, his swan song, as it were. His first episode that he wrote was The New Girl Part Two. That was the second half of the episode that introduced us to Joe and literally reestablished the format of the show on the heels of Linda Marsh and Margie Peters, who wrote part one. He also wrote Brian and Sylvia. That's the backdoor pilot, Ali, about an interracial couple, a white dude and a black girl. And it starred a pre-MacGyver, Richard Dean Anderson, and uh, the girl didn't go on to do much else, but it was a pretty hideous, awful, vile, racist, offensive, and very unentertaining uh, pilot. And they did not pick it up, obviously. Hmm. And then now we have this of the three episodes he's written. We have this one, but let us not ignore that he also did write a TV movie that we are familiar with. The Facts of Life Goes to Paris. Oh, well, oof. yeah, Matthew, you got it in one word. Oof. So Ali, last time you were here, like I said, February of 2020, we did a Royal Pain, the episode where they yes. introduced us to the little princess, Alex. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have another sound or one word review for that, Matthew? Yeesh. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah. No, that, that one might even get a, but um yeah the that was one of the attempts to say like maybe we should introduce some younger girls and new personalities and think about the turnover that might be happening in the future of the okay bad idea get her out get her out of there gone go goodbye so yes ali i believe it is now time for us to put our guest on the spot Mm. if you would please Give a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode. Very brief, like something you might find in a TV guide. And I will warn you ahead of time, if you do give too long a synopsis, Matthew will judge and insult you. No pressure. Go. Uh, Tootie decides to become an agent for an up and coming comedian who really likes um, being funny, does not like being forced to be a business major. Also, there are bad cookies. Well done, sir. Does that get the Matthew Arter seal of approval? I mean, it's longer than mine. That's not the first time I've said that to Ali. My my synopsis was just Joe Bakes cookies. That's all I got (laughs) out of this one. Oh, and we're going to talk about these fucking cookies, by the by. (laughs) Yes, I think we should. We we have words uh, to be spoken out of my talk hole right now. 
about mm-hmm. those fucking cookies. Um, so we're ready to get into it. Let's do it. All right. First of all, no George Clooney this week. Oh, that would have been lovely. Boo. We hate it when George Clooney isn't on the show. Do you do you remember Ali George Clooney being on the show? Uh, yeah, I do. Wasn't it uh, kind of like it was kind of his first thing. It was one of his first ish. It, or it was early Clooney. That's for sure. It wasn't his first thing, but it was uh, one of the many initial attempts to try to find something that fit because the network was like, we know this guy has it has got the special something. They just could not figure out what the right vehicle was. Well, boys, are we ready to tackle this piece of shit? Good. Good to go. I'm always so glad when we have like, and I'm not being facetious or sarcastic. I'm always glad when we can give a platform to the straight male voice. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like it's underrated and it doesn't get the it doesn't get the mouthpiece, so to speak, especially when discussing something as very, very gay as facts of life. <laughs> so to you, Ali, and all of your kind, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Leave so, it to the gays. Yes. So with this, we have uh, an episode that takes place mostly in the store. Mrs. Garrett is still out of town. We we don't uh, talk about, oh no, we do talk about that she is with Beverly Ann. This is the first time they call her Beverly Ann, referring to the letter that Mrs. Garrett sends. Uh, and uh, Joe and Blair are trying to put together the puzzle that is the riddle wrapped in an enigma that is how to bake a fucking peanut butter cookie. So that is a long protracted source of drama. That is our B story though, but we do need to talk more about it uh, in a minute. And, uh, but the A story is that Tootie, after getting a bad review, decides she doesn't want to be an actress anymore. And when a charming young uh, witty fellow comes into the shop, he is a MBA business student, I assume at Langley, it's the, the college in town, uh, because he's so witty and funny. And he does mention uh, that he has dreamed about, ah, it'd be fun to be like a stand-up comic, you know, standing in a room full of people and making them laugh. Ding, Tootie has a brilliant idea. She is going to become his manager. So she takes him on. She somehow makes contact with the booking agent for the Tonight Show, who shows up to a talent night they arrange at the store at Over Our Heads and watches this comic and says, he's really good, he's not ready, maybe someday in the future. And with that, Tootie says, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be a manager and I'm gonna go back to trying to be an actress. I'm gonna try to fight my own fight, run my own marathon, as she says. and. uh the episode is over. Well, this was a fun podcast. Thanks Good time. for being here, Ali. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So we can uh, now kind of go back and uh, Ali, as the guest, did you make notes? What is the first thing that you want to bring up and discuss in detail? Um, first thing, I am not a baker by any means. I'm not a baker. I like to cook. Mm-hmm. I like things, but I'm not a baker. I've never really been. Ba- I don't own baking pans. I don't own anything. But I can fucking make cookies. Yeah, thank you. They're so. It, it's not. It's not rocket surgery. It's just cookies. No. And, it. But by the way, Joe and Blair, you have been working in the cafeteria of Eastland School for Girls, feeding 200 girls three meals a day, allegedly, for what, four years now? Seasons two through two, two, three, and four, three years at Eastland School, and then seasons five and six at Edna's Edibles, where you were fucking rolling out croissant dough. And you yeah. can't figure out a peanut butter cookie, a half a cup of peanut butter half a cup and Blair says, yeah, half, you know, it's the one and the two with the line between them. And the joke, thank you, awful writers, is, oh, I guess I didn't see the line. 
you put 12 cups of peanut butter into a singular <laughs> batch of cookies. And, and thought that was okay. That's, yeah. this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And here's the deal. You have to be trying to fuck up a cookie. Exactly. They may come out, they may come out a little bit burny. They may come out the wrong shape. They may cook on the bottom, but not on the top. They may turn out doughy, but it's very difficult to make a disgusting, inedible cookie. Now, I, well, not me, a friend has had some cookies that aren't the best, that taste a little like weed. Um, oh, yeah. Your friend. I've heard. Person, yeah. Even those cookies are still good. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I, mean, I would never, uh, I would never. But oh, my God. No, a cookie, a cookie is like sex. Even when it's bad, it's still, you know, you're still going to swallow it. Exactly. <laughs> God, I love you so much for saying that. Oh, that. yeah. Um, so but, this this B story is is egregiously unacceptable. And it's the reactions, the reactions of the people on how bad these cookies are. They're not that bad. Like, realistically, it would have been. A little too much peanut butter. Yeah. Yeah, like did and, you and is there such a thing as too much peanut butter? Like I would have taken like a teaspoon of salt or a half a teaspoon of salt. Oh, I missed the the thing. So you put 12 teaspoons of salt into these, then they are unedible. There but you go. 12 thing, 12 cups of peanut butter are just gonna make them more delicious. Agreed. <laughs> these are called peanut butter explosion cookies. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, agreed. It's, wow. it's like, oh my God. Now the, the kid that comes in to taste the second time, um, what's his character's name? Um, Andy. Andy, Andy. Um, holy God. Could they get a whiter kid for this? Um, <laughs> like I felt like he was fresh out of like white magazine. Like this is, <laughs> this is, it. This, is what, this is what we need. Um, with the, the shoulder over the shoulder, you know, thing and the sweater and the whole thing and his haircut, the totally late yeah. 80s or 90s haircut. It was great. Um, but his reaction as well was like, oh, my God, people, they're not. It can't yeah. be that bad. They wouldn't have no. risen because they look good. Yeah, exactly. The prop cookies looked like the uh, Matthew, you are so right. The salt. That could have been a thing. And even then say, well, guess what? Guess we're having a special on salt cookies. You know, yeah. it's like salt water, call them salt water taffy cookies or something. Some it's caramel um, chips on them. No, it's it's salted caramel cookies. Yeah. No, no, they wouldn't know to do that. They've never been in a kitchen before. What is this <laughs> measuring cup thing? What did you see? My favorite part of the episode was when she goes to pick up later on. She goes to pick up the cookies to take them back into the kitchen. Yes. And she picks up one that falls on the table. She picks it up and puts it back because it's clearly a prop cookie. And then one of them drops on the floor and she does not pick that one up. She just lets nope. it go. I love that. Like, no, the director wasn't like, okay, well, you dropped a cookie and left it. So we should probably retake that. Then, like all in a fucking day. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. It's like, guys, we're on the clock. Let's go. We just got to get through this. Come on. Moving on. Moving on. Let's yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. think Facts of Life ever, ever heard this. You know what? I could do that better. Let's try that again. <laughs> that was ever said on set on Facts of Life. <laughs> oh, my God. That's going into the archives is one of the greatest quotes ever on this podcast. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Wow, Ali. <laughs> so we've established the cookies. Can we also ask and? I say this because you know how I feel about Tootie. Not how I feel about Kim Fields, but how I feel about Tootie. Has she ever gotten a good review for her acting? Ooh, has and she ever yet, been a good actress? You're right. You're right. We're, we're led to believe by the movie that she has somehow become a famous actress. Like, I mean, she's every review is that she's a terrible actress yeah from this one um there was a review a couple weeks ago where she was suicidal over it and later um miss um the one um what's your pussy where eleanor she played, yeah eleanor she, yeah where she played eleanor she gets a terrible review yeah playing so, eleanor roosevelt great casting well but i will say this 
the funniest line in, in the entire show, the entire episode, especially dealing with a comedian, but the funniest line was the review itself. I, I loved that review. We were just sad that the fire wasn't real. And I was like, damn. Yeah, when, damn. Joan, of Arc, when Joan of Arc was burned at the stake. Yes. <laughs> I All mean, I can I'm- think about were the were the great zingers that like Philip Nolan, Simon Needham would say at American Idol. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that was brutal. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, that, I was like, well done. That was good. But such a layered joke because now we're supposed to believe that Judy was playing Joan of Arc for Christ's sake. And I it just that that whole line, you're absolutely right. That was a great, great line. Yeah. Oh, like, good for them. That was good. Good one. When you have a total stranger come into your shop and start talking like this kid did, I'm out already. I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, and now and this is where the writing failed, or the writing and directing failed. Because when you are funny, quote unquote funny, you're not always funny. Most yeah. real comedians are pretty much introverted. They mm-hmm. don't, they're not on all the time. And he just came in like waka waka. Like I, I, I wanted him, I wanted his name to be Fozzie. Like I really did. Like he just da dun 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 dun. Like he just comes yeah. in, blah blah blah. I was annoyed. I'm like, yeah. And he's clearly yeah. doing material. It's not like he's just naturally being funny about like, oh, what kind of candy you have? Uh, you know, like he's not pulling anything out. It's like, hey, I'm gonna ask this question so I can set up a joke. And it, yeah. I was. I was out uh, like two minutes into him being there. Yeah. And, the and only... it was obviously it was it was so obvious that the directors and, and the producers, especially during the um, during the audition process, which Jeff Joseph is, is a good actor. I've seen him in so many things. Um, you know, he's done a lot. Uh, he's a good actor. He's funny. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a good guy. But you could tell it was that cheesy over the top direction and that those shows were doing at that time. And they're like. You're a little too real. We don't need that in television. Let's uh, yeah. let's camp it up. Let's camp it up. <laughs> yeah. And, and Tootie, I will of course, say, he did do very well with the script he was given. I yes. will say that. Like, I mean, it was just a painful script and the lines he was given to say. And he did do, honestly, I think as best he could with, yeah. with what he was given. Yes. So I'm not mad at the actor at all. At no. all. No, this is, one of those, that- this is one of those roles where he goes back and talks to his family. He's like, I'm going to be on this. You know, I'm on this, but this one, he's like, what, what do you got going on the other, uh, tomorrow? Nothing. Yeah. Some grocery shopping. I'm going to go on set for something. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing watch. is he is very appealing. Absolutely. And the only thing that one could give Tootie a pass for is she does say very quickly hits upon it where she's like, well, he's funny and he's charming and okay. He's kind of cute. Why didn't they make it that, at the end, when they're kind of parting ways, why didn't they make it that like, well, okay, well, maybe we could grab dinner sometime. And she's like, really, you want to do dinner? And he's like, a girl that thinks all my jokes are funny. Yes. That type. I think because she's 16. But he's like, oh, he's a grad student, isn't he? He's not, he's not a college student because he's a grad student. Yeah. And Tootie is not 16, Matthew. Tootie is 18. According to the new folk you, David, she is facts now of life, 16. The Facts of Life Cinematic Universe, the folk you. Yeah. We de-aged Tootie one year back in season four, Ali. Here just, we go. Oh, God. Here and we two go. weeks ago, they did it again. So Tootie, who should be 18, had been downgraded to 17, and now she is 16. God damn it! I am so sorry, um, dear listeners. I apologize for even broaching the subject of one of the did, girls' ages. Did, did they think they were going to try to make this a Simpsons episode where they're all the same age all the time? Like they just. In the early days, who knows? The producers were just like, we're going to put these girls in tight little hip huggy jean shorts and titty tops until they don't fit into them anymore. I don't really know that they had any well, game plan. Just like 80s sitcom, it didn't, there was no, it didn't matter. It was arbitrary what their ages were at this point. 
it was whatever this the story needed, just like the Golden Girls. Sometimes Blanche was in her 50s and sometimes she was not. <laughs> so sometimes Blanche had two children. Sometimes she had, she had six. six. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I always felt that like 80s TV, 80s and 90s, early 90s TV wasn't really about the story. It was how can we push the hair and the style? Like it's just look, we're going to have like, oh, my God, Natalie's shoulder pads in her jacket. Oh, I thought she was going to tackle someone like yeah. I, they were huge. <laughs> Boom. Just like, out. I, I thought she was going to put eye black on and ready to go. It's like, oh, my God. It's just all about the fashion. What's it look like? This, this. All right. Get our costumes out there. And ridiculous to see now. But admittedly, sh- they did look amazing at that time. I yeah. mean, so it's like watching the Brady Bunch and you're like, oh, nice plaid shirt, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing that made me laugh, um, his name is Robert Davis. The the comedian's name is Robert Davis. That's Mm. my grandpa's name. Shut up. No, that's great. Did somebody make him change it to Bobby? Nope, it was Bob, and I was 14 until I realized his actual first name wasn't Jesus Christ, because (laughs) that's how my grandmother referred to him every time she referred to him. It was Jesus Christ, Bob. And I remember being asked what your grandpa's name was, and I said, it's Jesus Christ, Bob. And but anyway, <laughs> let's talk about, well, let's quickly touch upon, we already talked about Jeffrey Joseph, the actor who plays the uh, charming, but not very funny comic. Uh, he actually is still out there. He's still working. And like Ali said, he's got a lot of credits as an actor. He does also do stand up. I found some of it on YouTube and the sound quality is so awful. I can't really tell if it's any good. Um, mm. it, it's hard to say, but he is on TikTok. Jeffrey Joseph comedy. If you want to follow him, this actor is still out there. 48 acting credits in a 38 year career and still ongoing, still uh, working out there. I was Uh, wondering about that because like we've wondered this before with when Jerry Jewell was on, if the stand up portion of the show was actually written by Jerry Jewell or if the writers gave her that. So I was wondering if this was his stand-up act because, I mean, it was 1986. And, I mean, he's full-on doing race humor. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, a very G-rated Eddie Murphy race humor. Like, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say it was not his material because hmm. of his delivery. The delivery was, for me, uh, like, I teach stand-up. So I one of my biggest things is it's got to be from you. It's got to be your stuff. You can't like I, one of my exercises, I give them, I tell my students like, this is your homework for the week. Go get three minutes of your favorite comedian, write it out verbatim and then perform that for me. But I don't want to see an impersonation. I want to see it. Like you got a script. This is your act and just do it your way. And I always say, I said, nobody killed it. I said, you had proven material, but nobody killed it. Why? It's not yours. You didn't, you didn't hone it. This wasn't yours. It didn't come from your bones. So his performance, especially in the beginning, was very, I'm reading someone else's script. And I was like, oh, this is, this is why this doesn't work, because yeah. it's not someone's act. This is a writer throwing in what they think a stand-up comedian should say. And I was like, oh, this is falling flat. Yeah. That's such an excellent point, Ali. Thank you for that. Well, continuing with this instruction of stand-up, I listen to a lot of podcasts of uh, stand-up people, and I've heard the same thing. It has to come from you. And the journey to the material coming from you is a long one. The fact that this is his first or possibly second time ever getting up in front of an audience, that Jim McCauley, Actually, the real Jim McCauley, who is the real booking agent for The Tonight Show at this time, says he's good, but he needs a lot more seasoning. And Tootie says, how much more seasoning? And he says, a year or two, maybe three or four. That seems to be to be very short. What I've heard from like Dana Gould, Aisha Tyler, and those people that they, they I've heard like the magic number is seven. Oh, it he, used to be 10. 
It used yeah. to be 10. Oh, really? 10 years in. You, um, Lewis Black used to always say, he goes, you're not funny until you're 10 years in. Wow. But with the invention of, you know, the internet and social media and YouTube especially, and now TikTok, comedians are doing, essentially getting stage time a lot more than back in the day. Like, and that was the that was the point. That was the reason. Ten years is like you need to be on stage so much. You need to be performing so much. But now, hell, there are comics that are getting specials, and it's their second year. Yeah, yeah. Stand up. But it's also I feel like with TikTok, these people become famous for ninety second clips, and then it's like, oh, you don't actually have real talent like you have no uh, understanding of how to hold a room you have no understanding of how to interact with an audience because you've been talking to your phone basically it's your malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours is what it is how it's kind of and to matthew's point um let's go let's go to the the comics that are out there on tiktok right now yeah the actual comedians that are doing stand-up now have more of a platform now there, so that they can hone their act. So they, they're also doing it live, but then they take three, well, now three minutes on, on TikTok. You could do a three-minute act and put it on TikTok and, and actually hone it and keep going and keep going. Um, how, however, there are the people that Matthew was talking about that are just TikTok famous or YouTube famous. And then comedy clubs book them. Why? Because they have millions of followers and they know they're going to sell seats. So I was at the improv and I was performing and they brought in this, this comic uh, to do 10 minutes. And he was an internet famous comedian. He had like four or 5 million followers on YouTube and boom. And the place had a lot of people there for him. He was awful. (laughs) Like, I'm like, this guy isn't a standup. Like he's internet famous and that's great. But he's not a stand-up. And somebody told me, he goes, yeah, he's, he's a chef. He's internet famous because of a chef. He does a cooking show. <laughs> well, that has nothing to do with comedy. Yeah, You're like, what am I doing on stage with this guy? Jesus. It, <sighs> it, I was like, oh, my God. dude, what? And that's the thing. Like, people can get internet famous for their little clips. But you put them in front of an audience and you put them on stage mm-hmm. with actual material, they have no clue. Yeah, They have no clue what they're doing. Yeah, broader skill set. It's a it's a much broader skill set than you realize. And I didn't realize that social media and followers had transferred and and gone over to film. I did I did that movie a couple of years ago um, called The Beach Bum with Matthew McConaughey, Zac Efron, and I'm sitting there talking to the director, and he was like, "Yeah, man, I'm glad we went with you. You were really funny. Um, you know, a couple of the producers wanted to go with this other guy." because he had a huge following on Instagram. He had like, you know, 10 million followers on Instagram and we know we'll sell ticket, tickets. And I go, does that matter now? Oh yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I've, I've been hearing this too, factor, yeah. They're about equal. Like I could go with either one. If one has a lot of followers, that person's gonna get the gig because they're gonna promote the movie. And I went, wow. Yeah. So. With that being said, my TikTok is A underscore Ali underscore Flores. Let's get that going. Get on that, people. My tens of listeners are going to wait Wait till you see the uptick. Um, are we just going to ignore the fact that Ali just said he was on a set with Zac Efron? Let's talk about it. What, what, did, what did you, what are the stories? What? Please tell me you're in the locker room. Oh, what does, what I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to make you feel even worse. But I held hands with Zac Efron for about an hour. Motherfucker, what does he smell like? <laughs> he smells like butterflies. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> oh, if he smells like butterflies, I wouldn't mind if he smelled <laughs> like butt. Oh, God. wow! No, he was great. Um. I shot this movie called The Beach Bum, which was an awful, awful movie. Um, detergents leave behind a better film. It's awful. <laughs> Zach, like, it, and the stars in this movie should have been huge. Um, 
it's Matthew McConaughey, Zac Efron, Isla Fisher, Jonah Hill, Snoop Dogg. Um, you know, just, I'm like, these are big name people that, that, and you know, it, it, it grossed, I think a little over a million the first weekend Ugh. and then just died. What and, was he wearing when you held his hand? What was he wearing? He was in costume. Okay. Um, what, what was the costume? He like, was, was, he's like a, he was like a stoner guy. We were all in rehab. Mm-hmm. So we had like this stoner skater type vibe outfit. And, um, it's crazy because I was on, like, I was in Miami, uh, the night before I was supposed to be on set and I get a call in the morning and they're like, Hey, can you get here now? Uh, yeah. yes, Zach, I'm on my way. I'm like, <laughs> I guess why? Well, the director wants to put you in more scenes. I'm on my way. So I get there and literally they rush me from my car, sign my contract, give me the hair and makeup, um, and wardrobe and boom, they take me out. I meet, um, Matthew McConaughey. They're like, Hey, you're going to be doing the scene, this guy all day. We're going to be doing some stuff like great. And I get to set and they're in the, they're about to do the uh, serenity prayer. And they're micing me up and the director's like, Ali, say whatever the hell you want. You're improviser. You do what you want. Uh, Matt and Zach have been told to go. They'll play whatever you want to do. So I get it. And I'm sitting there and they put me right next to Zach Efron. They're like, all right, oh. we got to go hold hands. We're going to do our prayer. So we're oh. holding hands. We're doing this stuff. And I was like, I don't know this prayer shit. So I'm sitting there and we're talking and we're doing this. So after about four takes, Zach looks at me and goes, I'm Zach, by the way. Oh, I go, hi. <laughs> I love you. I said, hey. I said, I'm Ali. He goes, I figured since we're holding hands this much, you should know who I am. Oh, my I God. Said, That's great, man. So, what I, was, so what was he wearing? Um, in my mind, nothing. Oh, well, yeah. Wow. Um, but like, I was like, you have the softest hands. I said, these are nice. <sighs> good hands. He goes, I don't know if that's a compliment. And I go, no, it is. It means you moisturize. You take care of yourself. It's nice. Goes, it's a weird conversation. I go, a little bit. And- <laughs> so was he uh, in a tank top? Was No, he- it was like baggy skater clothes. And he had Fuck. like some. Was uh, he shirtless? Like, was he- no, he wasn't shirtless. Well, did, was he barefoot? Was he barefoot? No, it was not barefoot. Nah, I'm out. Okay. <laughs> Wow, that's good. It's amazing since we've all worked together. Matthew, you and I are now one degree of separation away from Zach fucking Efron. Well, be- thanks to a certain piece of paper, I'm not allowed to be within 500 yards of him. But Oh, no. I'm really uh, sorry to hear well, that. It, well, I, I refer to that time in my life as the incident. Um, <laughs> so anyway, but thank you for that. I'm going to put that in the spank bank. <laughs> If you don't mind. Wow. Um, Real quick, forgive me. Did I miss the fact that like, did we talk about, you should be a comedian. I'll be your agent. You're in high school, Judy. You are a, you are a senior in high school. Why is anyone listening to a word you have to say? Mm -hmm. I know people. I can, I can, I can make calls and I can, I'm going to make you a star. Bitch, you are in high school <laughs> getting bad I, reviews, getting bad reviews. And I don't know, like, just it just like we talked about 2D's confidence. And I wish I had some 2D confidence. I do. But you are a child. I have <laughs> wrote down several times throughout the episode. Why is anyone listening to you? Uh, anyway, OK, so that, I just want to make that, sure we discuss that. Yeah, we needed to discuss that because that was something that I was like, isn't she in high school? Like what? It's funny. I, I kind of, I kind of lost sight of that because I was more thinking, why didn't we make this? I guess he needed to be younger. He needed to be a college student, not a grad student. But I was looking at this going, uh, he is charming and attractive and she's right that he's cute. But uh, yeah, you're right. That would have been so creepy wrong. So my, my brain was elsewhere. I was, I'm always trying to play the romantic angle. Now, out of all the things that they got right, about comedy and how it works. But there was um, anything they got right? Wait a minute. Oh yeah, Back yeah, up. obviously, obviously. I, I have met every booker within the first or second time I've performed. Oh, okay, um, good, good. I, I'm really good friends with Jimmy Kimmel's booker. Um, <laughs> you know, all of them, all the biggies. I, yeah. I know, second time I performed at Best of British, you know, 12 years ago, mm-hmm. I, got, I got connected with all of them. So that's the one thing they got right. Okay. Uh, good. The other thing, the other thing that got right is when you're booking a talent show, a showcase for a comedian, you always only book that one comedian. 
Yeah, never an opening act, never something to warm them up, never an actual professional in the field to at least set the tone. And yeah, yeah. Your irony is not lost on us, Ali. It's crazy. But, but, but they did have an opening act. They had Sonny Del Vecchio, the juggling bag boy from the local supermarket. But his material was his, though. It was. Uh, this is uh, actually the juggler. And it's funny. They call him Sonny Del Vecchio, which I think is a great, funny name. Uh, that is also the name. Um, Tony Del Vecchio is the character that Cesar Romero played on Golden Girls when he dated Sophia. I, I knew something. I was like, that sounds like somebody else's name. I know Del Vecchio. That, that's it. Yeah, I feel like it's also come up on... Laverne and Shirley are happy days because uh, it's, it's I wonder drive if there's a Del Vecchio family in like the biz that everybody knows <laughs> and they're like, we're going to make up a Del Vecchio. Yeah, it's all about the Del Vecchios. Italian names are fun. They're very fun oh, and funny. Great. Comedy gold. They're great to say. Yeah. So uh, the actual juggler uh, is an actual juggler, of course. Like you said, his material was his. This was not something scripted or created by someone else. Uh, it is Tyler Lincoln, L-I-N-K-I-N. And uh, Tyler Lincoln, this is his only IMDb credit, period. He mm -hmm. is a stand-up comic, a writer, and a juggler. He's based out of Las Vegas now. He's still out there. Visit TylerLincoln.com. And he has a YouTube channel showing some of his entertainment and uh, you know special event work, all juggling-based. And his YouTube channel handle is stand-up guy can i say there's another time i would have been out that happens in the first 10 minutes when tootie's like we need to change your name robert davis isn't funny bobby Dave, bobby the funny comedian that. i'm out i'm out <laughs> you're the worst agent i've ever fucking met that's, <laughs> that's a, this is carol lee the blonde drag queen yeah, yeah okay wow. thank you the funny comedian Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut the and, fuck up. And fuck this guy, because he's supposed to be a business major. And <laughs> I'm like, motherfucker, you should have known that shit. Yeah. And why couldn't you market yourself? Why couldn't? Yeah, hello? <laughs> be, meanwhile, your opening act is Sonny, the juggling bag boy, Del Vecchio. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Uh, I will say uh, this. I was, I was a little frightened that it was going to be just an extra that they, they were sitting there going, can anyone juggle? Can anyone do something? Oh my God. And so that they were, he was doing the three and I went, most people can do that. You know, if you can juggle, you can do three, but you don't do anything thing. And I went, uh Oh, it's just, and then he did the cabbage or the lettuce on his head. And I went, okay, he's an actual juggler. I was like, okay, that's good. Um, <laughs> um, he wasn't just juggling three things, Ali. He was juggling. An orange, a grapefruit, and a head of lettuce. Yeah. Swipe um, it on his head. Yeah. But it, <laughs> I see what you did there. But yeah, no, three different, whoa, three different size things, and you're juggling them. Holy fuck. Uh, but anyway, yeah, actually, his act uh, on YouTube, they are better produced videos than, than our dear friend Jeffrey Joseph. Uh, and his stuff is pretty funny. It's kind of like, okay, it's that, you know, book him as entertainment for your convention or, you know, sales meeting or whatever. And, uh, and it's quite delightful. He is, he's very fun and funny. What else okay, have I have a problem with the fact that they come in and first of all, Tootie's wearing a hat. It's, it's always, and that's the sitcom thing, isn't it? The way people are just so fully clothed mm -hmm. at home. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but when I get home, it's down to pretty much nothing. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm not sitting around with my vest on, my high heels, my pantyhose and my hat, Tootie. <laughs> thank you. But <laughs> Natalie comes in and goes, we've got we've got signs up in every store for our comedy night. What store is going to be like, yeah, advertise for your store in my front window. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please, please put up put up a sign in my window that will get people to your shop. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Go ahead, Nat. Tack it on up. You need some tape. Um, but <laughs> my problem is it's like you're having a comedy night. And this is just me personally. You're having a comedy night. Okay, have some milk and cookies, everyone. We're going to sell a lot of cookies. Yeah. yeah. 
Make it a two cookie minimum. Yeah, that way we can unload all these shitty, awful cookies that we seem to suddenly be incapable of baking. Yeah. Um, just getting back to his actual act, we're saying it's in generalities about his act is not good out there. Talking about the race humor that he's doing, he's talking about being the first black man to go to prep school. And he says, so I walk in and they're all, what? What's this guy? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I ordered a Negro. That's the punchline. And then he talks about the radio station at his school, WASP, brought to you by Angloshin. And, uh, and then he does a white person rap. Oh, rap in the 80s. Uh, talk about your staple in any stand-up comic. Let's, I'm going to do a rap about being a shoe salesman or a juggling grocer. My favorite part about that is that he goes, have you heard of this rap? Do you guys know what it is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I did love the way he like stopped him. He's like, stopped him. And he's like, no, I can already tell that's white people clapping. You're clapping like, look for the union label. I thought that was pretty funny. I mean. Yeah, you do that in your act, Matthew. You do that. No, 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 not on one and three, dear. Right. No, we on two clap. and four. We don't clap on the one and the three. Yeah. No. Yeah, it was. Um, I I could actually, I, I kind of dug his material, a little bit of his material. Um, like I did like the part of, you know, because I, I, I knew where it was going with it was, you know, he wasn't black enough. Mm-hmm. Um, because he talks the way he talks. He's like, I believe we ordered a Negro. I don't know. Yeah. Um, which I was like, okay, I get that. Um and and I liked you know the 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 rap. I kind of dug what he was doing, but again, he's not a comedian. And also, this is where they get it way wrong. If it's your second time, you've got five minutes at best. Yeah, you're not headlining. You're not doing forty five to an hour. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do a showcase with one person. And he's got five minutes of comedy, two minutes. That's funny. Yeah. That's your showcase. That's, that's your thing. Technically for the show, I do credit it. And I did put in my notes at the very least, they did the spin screen in between a couple of units of the standup. So Mm -hmm. the spin screen implies a passage of time. Yeah. Because the thing I love, one of my favorite sitcom tropes is the sitcom talent show where they spend the first 20 minutes planning and preparing it so that in the end, when the big show finally happens, it's about eight minutes long and everyone's applauding like they've just sat through Les Mis or something. And, uh, and we've had it on this show. But at the very least, there was a sense of passage of time. It's like, okay, so supposably... There is more material in between these bits that is supposed to be of comparable quality. And uh, yeah, but but you're right. The fact that to be a headliner, to build up, again, the 10 years to just even find your voice, let alone put together an hour of material that is tight. That's tight, not full of ums, not tangents, not everything. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no way. There's no way in hell that he went up and did a show. So many, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people, uh, because stand-up is such a saturated art form, I feel like, um, I don't feel like a lot of people appreciate or understand what goes into it and what it takes to be good at it. This company in Detroit wanted to do um, America's Favorite Stand-Up Drag Queen. And they wanted to film it and they begged me to do it. And I was like, absolutely not. Because the way that it was set up was they were like, registration is at this time. They were doing it like a drag pageant almost. It was like, registration is at this time where you will get your topic. Oh, and I said, they're not looking for a stand up. If they're looking, if they're going to give you your topic the day of, these are already people that don't understand what they're looking for or what standup is. Like Joan Rivers would hone for years, 10 minutes. Like she would show up at a club in New York and take a two o'clock open mic in the morning and get up there and be like, I'm just trying new material. And, and, and just pull out cards and try new material until the day she fucking died. 
Mm-hmm. So, and it was, I was so frustrated when they see Ellen's or when they see Fortune Feimster's, um Netflix special. Yes, it sounds like that's the first time she's done that material, but she has been doing that material for years. So I don't think people appreciate what goes into being a stand-up. I get, it- I get them all the time in my class. They're like, I go, all right, let's talk about what we're going to do. If you're going to be a storyteller, a standard joke teller, topical, whatever. And I'll get students that are like, and I'll ask them to write out a personal story. I said, I need you to write me a personal story. Something that happened for you, you know, uh, grade school, personal story that happened. And I'll get them and, and I go, where's your thing? Oh, I just put the bullet points. I know the story. Mm-hmm. I go, nope. Nope. That's the assignment. You, you have to write it out. No, no, no. I know how to tell it. I guarantee you, you fucking don't. Yeah. Um, you know how to tell it to your friends and family. And they appreciate it and are very lenient with you and aren't going to go, I'm fucking bored. Mm-hmm. Don't know how to tell it on stage. Um, one of my favorite stories, uh, I think it was Christopher Titus. He talked about it uh, when he first started. Um, he was in high school and he's working at a, at a club, uh, at like a Catskills, like a Poconos type of resort as like a busboy. Like he was just cleaning dishes and he saved enough money to go to the comedy show. Mm-hmm. And he saw the comedian and he said he was dying and he did 15 minutes uh, of crowd work and improv with the audience. And he said, it was hilarious. So much that he used the rest of his money to get the ticket for the very next show that same night. I just mm-hmm. wanted to see what he was going to do for that improv. It was the same 15 minutes. And I go, exactly. Mm-hmm. We make it look like we're just coming up with it. A lot of our ad libs, maybe the first time was an ad lib on stage. We did it once and went, yeah. <laughs> Note to self. fucking happen again. <laughs> And I need to make it happen again organically, try to figure out a way to sell it as if that was organically, mm-hmm. organically done. And it's, but everything is, is planned. Everything is written and studied and worked out. The beats, the pauses, the punchline, the inflection, everything. To, to the point where it doesn't matter what they say when I ask them where they're from. They could say any one of the 50 states or any country across the world. And my response is going to be, I'm sorry. And when they say it again, I go, oh, no, I heard you. I'm just sorry. Mm-hmm. That is one of the oldest crowd work things in yeah. the history of comedy. But it doesn't matter what they say to me. I already have a bag of tricks that I'm going to pull from. I've got jokes about a doctor. I've got jokes about a real estate person. I've got jokes. I've got it's a bag of tricks that we pull from, but the, the trick is making it sound organic. That's why I love the line. It just comes so naturally out of you. Does it, Tootie? Does mm-hmm. it come naturally? Does it? Okay. It's like 99. We've had, you know, we've gotten oh. camera a thousand times. Oh, God, yeah. I've got 50, 99 jokes for camera. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming up with a new one every time. No. Oh, camera. Got it. Yeah. And the and the understanding that we all have. Oh, it's computer. This means Evie Starlight's going last and she's going to use the hookup with your servers joke because that's the one that fucking kills. And we all know that theatrically, this is where this needs to go to give her that fucking laugh. All right, gentlemen, I, I feel like we have we've covered a lot of ground and I'm looking through my notes here going, we covered a, a lot of what's already here. Let's get some final thoughts. I will start. Uh, not a very good episode. Uh, what my peripheral understanding of stand up comedy as an art form uh, knows is that this is dead wrong. And, you know, I mean, granted, it may be asking too much of a group of comedy writers in a writer's room in a sitcom to understand the world of stand-up comedy. I mean, what possibly could they know about it and how could we expect them to really? So uh, for that reason, you know, I I chalk it up to ignorance and not malice. And I give this episode a a very low B minus high C plus. Matthew, your final words. I think again, it is a fun, out of non sequitur, 1980s sitcom episode. Wackiness ensues. And I mean, I, again, 2D is just, especially at the end when 2D is like, I've ruined an actor's career. It's all or nothing with her. 
and she's yeah. just the character's just reeking of immaturity because it's like i've gotten one bad review i'm never gonna be an actress again and then oh this guy won't isn't being booked on the tonight show i've ruined a man's career fuck off tootie like go back to, go back to senior don't you have some biology homework or something <laughs> to do <laughs> So that was my only real complaint about it was that Tootie, like nobody set Tootie straight. Like nobody said, isn't this going to interfere with, you know, high school being this person's agent? So whatever. Yeah. But a fun 80s sitcom episode, like all of season seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ali, anything else? And uh, final thoughts? Um, I love the fact that Jim McCauley was there and, um, and we didn't touch on this on how she got a hold of him by just going through the fucking phone book. Mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood, Hollywood 411 information. Can I have the number for Johnny Carson? Yeah, exactly. But she um, did do some detective work. She happened to read an article about him flying back home. So she mm-hmm. thought, well, he's probably from New York. And if he's staying at his parents' house, been you know because he's in show business of course you'd stay at your parents house you wouldn't stay at a hotel on the dime of the network yeah. uh yeah so it was she called and claimed to be his cousin so there was a there speaking of more hilarious race humor Tootie saying she's his cousin and that's the pretense upon which he takes a, a train or drives to Peekskill and goes there and it's like okay I, I kind of lied to get you here I'm not your cousin. <laughs> I don't know about you, but David, but I do read variety just so I can find out what the booker from the tonight show is going to be doing this weekend. I love that he got a full fucking article in variety about his trip home. She's <laughs> lucky. It was a slow week. She was lucky. Yeah. really. That he was there and, you know, they, they had to raise the stakes somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the recalculousness of the fact that she can a get a hold of him and convince him to be there, set up this show. She's a senior in high school. It was just a fantastical episode. It was everything was just fantasy. The fact that they can't make cookies, the fact that we've got a continue uh, a, com- a comedian that's getting a shot for the Tonight Show. And this is only a second time. The fact that they put together a show, the fact that Joe plays the piano. Um, um, you know, it just do not get me started on that, but continue, um, continue. Just all of it. So in the eighties, I would have given this episode a solid B, mm-hmm. but right and, now, and, this and, is, this is, this is D, this is D material. This is, yeah, it's this it's a D worst. Um, this is, <laughs> uh, I just, I, if it weren't for the fact that I was doing this for the podcast, I would not have finished the episode. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, I can't, I can't. Yeah. I, I, can't. I think um, I'm going to, I said a low B minus and a high C. I'm, I'm gonna stick, I'm gonna go back up to the B minus because you pointed out something interesting, Ali. Nothing made sense in this episode. Everything was off. There, There wasn't anything that wasn't a, WTF moment. What is happening here? This is preposterous. So maybe looking at it as just a a literal insanity fever dream from a bygone decade. Uh, Are you implying that Andy doesn't get his mail delivered to that house? Like at the beginning when he walks in and goes mail call and most of the mail is for him? Yeah, exactly. And you don't live there, Andy. Indoors. Indoors with his sweater tied around his shoulders, like you do, you know. Just like Tootie with her hat on. Yeah. Just sitting Um, around with a hat. The point about Andy just there, you don't live there. This is something, my favorite all-time television show of all time is Cheers. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it still holds up. It's brilliant. However. Even after the Me Too movement, you're still on board with Cheers? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Um, But here's the thing. Everyone considers the bar home. They go on dates. I'll pick you up here. Uh, we're going to do, we pick you up there. We meet there. I'm like, don't you fuckers have a house? Yes. Like, you're nobody so goes right. to the bar. Nobody comes straight from the vacation to the bar. With their luggage. The exactly. They've got their fucking luggage. Away. Like, I, 
love it. I love it. Yeah. God, sitcoms are just, they are just so amazing. And we accepted it. We, we just took it. They were like, mm-hmm, absolutely. Been on a plane for 16 hours. Go to the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Need a drink. <laughs> um, well, thank you, funny. Ali. For doing this, thank you both Ali and Matthew for contributing your stand-up expertise. I am happy to always have people more knowledgeable than myself. And uh, this has been great. I hope we're able to do it again very, very soon. Yeah, thanks for letting me uh, come on board. Don't forget, follow me on Instagram, comedic actor and TikTok. I need to get movies. A underscore Ali underscore Flores. Okay, do it. 330,000 followers, thank you. Oh, wow. Very nice. Oh. Well, if uh, if my tens of listeners start following you, you're, you're probably going to get a, a stand-up gig in front of a shimmer tinsel curtain in a Spencer's <laughs> gift. Yes. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's the dream. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Thank you, my dear. Again, smooches and goodbye. Mwah! Mwah! And there you have it. That was Ali Flores. You can follow him on Instagram at Comedic Actor and on TikTok at A. Ali Flores. I'll post links in the show notes. And uh, you can also see his movie, The Beach Bum, the one he was talking about with Zac Efron, Matthew McConaughey. It is available on Hulu. I took a quick skim of it, went through it. I did see Ali is in the movie. And it does look like it is pretty um, bad. So, uh, yeah, if you've seen it or you do look at it, uh, give a comment. Let us know what you thought about it. Now, a couple of extra points I didn't get to make. Number one, when Bobby first comes into the shop and Tootie is greeting him, Natalie is there, too. Natalie's wearing a floral print shirt. It's pretty. It's nice. It's a kind of small, kind of busy pattern. Doesn't really read from a distance. But when she walks over to the table where they're drinking the coffee, I was not prepared that Natalie's outfit also had matching parachute pants. Same fabric, the pants that have the crotch down at the knees. Uh, Yeah, 80s-tastic people, I urge you, if you haven't watched the episode yet, if you're going to, please make note of them. They are just insane and awesome. Also, did I emphasize that the Joe story of not being able to make cookies that Blair gets roped into this B story, that we start it with, Joe can't make the cookies, and then it's like, you wacky lesbian who can't bake, let me help you. And then it becomes Blair and Joe incapable of making a batch of fucking cookies. It was so, so crazy and stupid and annoying for a B story. Lastly, there is a joke that Bobby makes when he's first schmoozing Tootie, where she asks him if he wants more coffee, and he says, no, no, thank you. That's funny. He always has a second cup at home. (laughs) Do you know what that reference is? That's a reference to a brand of coffee called Yuban Coffee, as in Y-U-B-A-N, and it was a big commercial thing in the 70s. I grew up with it. It was everywhere. The whole thing of, do you want another cup of coffee at a party? And the husband says, yes, I will. And the wife looks at the camera and you hear in a voiceover, hmm, Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home. And the reason being is that, well, you make shitty coffee because you're a terrible housewife and therefore not a real woman. And uh, it's not this Yuban coffee, which has great flavor and, you know, genuine Colombian coffee beans and all that stuff. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you this because there is something funny here. That commercial was spoofed in the movie Airplane. 1980, the flight attendant asks, do you want more coffee? Wife says no. And the husband says, yes, I will. And then she looks at the camera and you hear, Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home. Ha ha ha. Referential joke, humor. That's fine. Later, as the plane is starting to experience turbulence, the husband starts throwing up violently and loudly in his throw-up bag. And the follow-up callback to this joke is, the wife looks at the camera and you hear, Hmm, Jim never vomits when we're at home. I mean, funny, hilarious, I laughed at that in 1980 when I sat in the movie theater and watched Airplane. What I did not know, and what now, I was today years old when I discovered, 41 years later, that actress is the same woman that was in the commercial. 
they cast it the same. Did not know that. Never got it. The, the reference, the joke was good enough. It could have been any actress who did it, but the extra layer of, oh my God, that's her. So I'm going to put videos of it up there all on YouTube. I'm going to put them on the, the episode's webpage. And uh, I'm aware I'm nerding out over a very teeny minuscule thing, but you know, that's my style. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. And uh, it's, it's very, very fun. And God knows what a trip down memory lane to look at those old coffee commercials. Man, next week, we're going to be watching season seven, episode 17 called The Reunion. You can watch the show for free at dailymotion.com and on Pluto TV. I will post the links in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And next week, we're going to be joined by Sarah French returning to the podcast Oh, such a funny gal. We had a blast. The show was recorded. It's not edited yet, but I am so looking forward to uh, revisiting and reliving the time we had, and I can't wait for you to hear it, too, next week. In the meantime, thank you for listening to this week's show, and remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.